Welcome to the Health in Motion podcast. I'm your host, Evie Takis. I'm a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner who loves to help people achieve their wellness goals they once thought were impossible to reach. I am the owner of Holistically Restored, and through my coaching practice, I have been able to guide my clients through their own health journeys and teach them to truly understand their body. With a focus on hormone, thyroid, and weight management, I strive to instill the knowledge, confidence, and encouragement everyone deserves. If you enjoy this content, I'd love for you to subscribe and also leave a review on Apple Podcast. Please tell your friends, family, or anyone who is curious about bettering themselves in a holistic way. The more, the merrier. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and is not to be taken as medical advice. I am so happy you're here and ready to learn. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Health Emotion Podcast. I'm really excited for today's episode. I have a friend of mine here. I've known you for years, yeah. really kind of on and off, which yeah. is kind of strange how it's full circle. We've been reconnected now. I know. Um, so I'm really excited to sit down and also to talk about this topic. I think this is a hot topic. It's something that I talk to my clients about weekly mm-hmm. and I wanted to get more educated about it, which is why it's perfect that I've reconnected with you because you're really like the expert in this for me and just the amount of help that you provide other people, I think is amazing. So I'm really excited to talk about this, have people sit in on a conversation like this. So I appreciate you being here. Megan, can you please start with an introduction as to who you are? Yeah. And I'm very excited. So thank you for having me. It is funny. So Evie and I met uh, many years ago when I was trying to kill myself running competitively. (laughs) I'm still trying to kill myself in different ways now, Um, which is well, probably why I do what I do. But uh, so my name is Megan Del Corral and I'm a bioidentical hormone specialist um, clinically. So I'm double boarded in acute care, pediatric medicine and family medicine. Um, but hormones is all I focus on now. And um, the name of the practice I work for presently is Advanced Vitality, HRT. And um, as a side hustle, I'm the medical director for Nutrition Dynamic, which we are both very familiar with. Yeah. And uh Vince Pitstick, you know, is tends to be a neutral person in this field. Yeah, I love that. And that's really, that's why it's so funny because I met you when you were training for Mm -hmm. your marathons. I was working the front desk at the (laughs) PT office that you were going to to work out and all that. And like, I knew of you, but didn't know much. We just kind of, hey, hello. And then just... And then I worked with Vince for several years. Yeah. <laughs> so it's then- all funny how we all came together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. He's the common denominator. He always like- is. Yeah, my life. <laughs> yeah. So it's been really cool. But I'm really excited to hear more about how you got into this. So uh, being a nurse practitioner, really focusing in on hormones now. Um, let's just start with what is hormone replacement therapy? And what does it mean when you say you're, it's bioidentical hormone replacement therapy? Yeah. So just kind of starting with the foundation. So what is a hormone? So Hormone is a chemical and it's actually a signaler from one part of the body to another to create change. So whether that's ovulation to stimulate um, fertility. I was always told in graduate school that a period is just an unhappy uterus because our only only purpose on this planet was to uh, procreate. And bioidentical hormones, they really got their, I guess, popularity when they're compared to synthetics, which is always important to kind of draw that line. So the biological complex or the chemical structure of hormone replacement therapy is derived. They're usually from actually this like rare Mexican yam. Um, so plant-based and as a molecule, they are the same genetic molecule as the hormones naturally found in our body. And 
we're talking about hormones specifically, we're focusing on reproductive. So testosterone, um, estradiol and progesterone. And, um, so synthetic hormones, uh, actually for the most part are originally, they're actually made from the urine of horses. So the first synthetic hormones that were brought out for the purpose of not, uh, fertility or not, um, birth control, um, were, again, equine, so horse-derived. I do think there are some better processes now. I think they, some bacteria and, and different strands, but um, but the most common ones like Premrin, Prempro, um, Provera, those are all equine urine-derived, which is interesting. That is interesting. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's, I think, what a lot of people think of when they hear hormone replacement therapy, mm-hmm. which is why they're typically like, I don't know, like sure. that's not something I want, especially now with a rise in knowledge, I think for a general population of the effects of like hormonal birth control too. They're mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, I don't, well, I don't want to do that. I got off birth control for a reason. I don't want to do hormone replacement therapy, but that's where this bioidentical concept comes in. Yeah. And I think the other thing that really um, differentiates the two. So when we're dealing with synthetic hormones, just as like a compounded mm-hmm. prescription, because they all, all of these are prescriptions, you know, the dosing is very challenging to customize for patients just by the way that they're manufactured from the pharmaceutical company. Whereas in concierge medicine and like what we practice is all about, you know, the least amount to create the most change. So when we use bioidenticals, we're able to compound these drugs into really, really small effective doses. And even work on different, um, delivery methods. Um, I know you're big into gut health and I definitely am as well, where it is so rare that I give anyone anything oral (laughs) because I'm always like, it's a crapshoot in terms of what you're going to absorb and how are we going to track that appropriately? Um, and so, you know, in, for the lack of better analogy, I always think of hormone replacement therapy as, um, you know, synthetics are kind of like, birth control for menopausal women, which is not what we're looking for. Yeah. So what is the delivery method that you tend to gravitate towards and that you see the most benefit with, with yeah. most people? So it depends on the hormone. Um, for testosterone um, and estradiol, for the most part, I really yield towards injectables. And when we say injectables, these are usually self-administered injections, really small insulin needles, um, if anyone gets Botox, it's the same size needle they use for that. And, you know, we're talking twice a week, even some patients, you know, less frequently or a little bit more frequently than that, or, um, a trochee. Um, so a trochee is a lozenge. You put it in your cheeks and it slowly dissolves, um, for the most part, you know, especially if you don't eat or drink something with it and there's not a lot of saliva it bypasses the gut bypasses the liver. And then I have some patients, um, female, uh, of course, that use vaginal suppositories, if, especially if they're going through, you know, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth or some kind of like really significant gut dysfunction. I always, in, you know, make the analogy of like, there's a reason why people shoot drugs up their hoo-ha because it gets them high faster. Yeah. Um, you know, we have so many nerve endings and blood vessels in that area. So um, absorption is super high. And from a scientific standpoint, it's very gratifying. Like I can compare patients on oral progesterone versus suppository via blood work. And I mean, their numbers won't even 
come close to each other. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. What about, do you primarily only work with women or do you also work with men too? No, I work with men. I actually love working with men. Um, mostly because I probably see a lot of women. I don't know if you find the same thing when I have a male on my schedule, I'm like, Oh yes, this is yeah. so great. Um, and even in that I spend a lot of time. So four of the business owners are all men. And so I'm constantly trying to as you probably are to continue to always be a student. So I'm always trying to learn more about biochemistry in men and, and how to um, support them, you know, through the different phases that they go through with chronological aging as well. Um, Yeah. So I do see men as well. Yeah. And for that, did you say that testosterone, is that also going to be an injection? Yeah, usually an injectable. I do have some men who use trochies. Okay. Um, So the role of hormone creams is, is interesting. And I definitely try to always be open-minded and never demonize any one hormone delivery method because there are other things like pellets and whatnot that are out there. Um, as a provider, you know, I have the, I guess, ability to kind of draw my own ethical barriers and testosterone cream is not something that I ethically prescribe. And that really is from just the countless documentation of high risk of transferring that hormone through your hands, even with good hand hygiene to children, pets, spouses. Um, and it's also very restrictive in that. So for men, for example, truly what the science says is testosterone cream should be applied to a freshly shaved scrotum. And that's exactly how it's okay. <laughs> spelled out in the literature. <laughs> um, <Got it. laughs> and it's usually um, a twice a day application and you are supposed to abstain from intercourse, wearing tight clothes or exercising for four hours after application. So just, again, for the patient's sake, if they're going to you know, use it appropriately or how it's intended, it's, it's really burdensome. Yeah. It sounds pretty restrictive in yes. like day-to-day yes. things like that. A lot of things to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And do you feel the same way about progesterone? topically too? Yeah. Not as much. One, because, um, you know, as a hormone, it has way less side effects where, you know, if you expose progesterone to a child, they can start growing a mustache and start having premature sex characteristics. Um, Animals can have aggression. We don't really see that chemically from progesterone. Progesterone is, I always remind people, it's, um, I always think of progestation because it's the hormone that's highest in pregnancy. So pro-life. and I don't, I don't use it a ton, mostly because I don't also find that absorption's great. Okay. I do have some women who, um, like, you know, I have, I have some patients who have transferred from my previous practice with me now. And like, I always say that like bathe in their progesterone cream, they just like love it and slather it everywhere. Um, and that's fine. And we just kind of talk about it. I'm like, I don't know how much good it's doing you, but it makes you feel good. Then great. Yeah. Um, so I don't have that huge ethical barrier. Now, estrogen does pose that again, um, especially usually a female obviously is using that and she can transfer it to her husband and they can get gynecomastia and emotional changes and and different things. So um, I don't, again, prescribe a lot of it. I probably have a small facet of patients if they have uh, females with significant vaginal atrophy um, or some kind of structural issue. And we think a little bit of estrogen to the vaginal tissue can help with that. Um, but again, it, it's same thing. It's no sex, no exercise, no tight clothes, um, again, daily application. So there's a lot of education around that. Okay. Yeah. Who is this bioidentical hormone replacement therapy for and who is it not for? Mm-hmm. 
it's always a good question because um, we get a lot of referrals um, from health coaches. And a lot of times, you know, I read the referral from the coach and it'll be like, oh, this is my, you know, avatar of a client and I'm sending her to you because her testosterone levels are low. And in my head, I'm like, okay, sure. It's it's only because you checked, right? Right, (laughs) right. Yeah. And so my question to the patient is always, you know, how does this low testosterone present to you? Like, what are your symptoms? And to be honest, especially if they are working with the health coach, which is this is why I prefer to work with health coaching clients. You know, they're almost like, well, you know, I was really fatigued and I had gut problems, um, but all that's gotten better since I'm working with my coach. And a lot of times I'm like, could we treat a number? Sure. But is it necessary? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, so who's it not for? Um, one, you know, although I do work with fertility patients, for the most part, if we're talking about testosterone or estrogen, that's completely contraindicated in pregnancy. So someone who's in the midst of trying to um, family plan. Now we do use progesterone, as I said, in pregnancy quite a bit. And even conventional obstetrics and gynecology use progesterone to prevent miscarriage um, and treat some different pathology. Also, you know, I think in terms of the patients who hormone therapy is not for, it put that more in terms of managing expectations, which I take very seriously. Um, One of the things in this field, again, of concierge um, medicine is the line between ethical practice and business can sometimes get really blurred. And since uh, its infancy, you know, I've always been very transparent with the business owners that I choose to work with and that I sell nothing. Um, I prescribe medications based off of disease. And, you know, so sometimes if a patient is coming to me, for example, saying, again, avatar of a patient, 52-year-old female perimenopause, whose only complaint is that she's gaining weight and she thinks hormones are going to help her lose weight, it's probably not a realistic expectation. Um, Again, I always remind them, would a little bit of hormone therapy help you sleep better? And then you'll have better energy to go to the gym and or go for your walks or whatnot? Yes. But is it going to help you lose weight? No. Um, so there's a lot of, of expectation managing. And I mean, you can appreciate this with the age of social media. It's a lot of like, well, my neighbor is <laughs> taking yep. this and yeah. she's doing X. You know, why can't I? feel the same way. So I think it's huge that you made that differentiation of like, it, is it really tied to weight loss or mm-hmm. is it that you just feel better in general? So you're doing the things that you would mm-hmm. need to be doing anyways to right. reach that goal of weight loss, because right. that's where the lines get blurred with people who I don't want to say aren't educated, but just sure. maybe don't have that perspective of it. Right. And so I, I hear that a lot too, because every now and then I'll get someone who is maybe perimenopause or in menopause and they just want to work on themselves, be healthier. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's at that point where they're like, I feel like I can focus on this. Right. Kids are grown. Yeah. yeah. And they'll be like, you know, but I'm also really interested in hormonal replacement therapy. Do you know of anything like that? What do you think about it? And I, again, it's, it's not the magic pill for a lot of the things mm-hmm. that people are coming to me for. Mm-hmm. It can definitely be a tool. Right. That's how I phrase it too. Yeah. 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 So I think it's important that people hear that differentiation. But again, like my brain actually automatically goes to fertility Mm because I 
I'm usually working with people in that age range Mm -hmm. where it's like they haven't been able to get pregnant or Mm -hmm. they're thinking about that. And so then we'll run some tests and it's like, okay, progesterone's on the low. Mm -hmm. But like you, the question is, well, why is it low? Mm -hmm. Does that mean automatically we start putting progesterone in you? It might be that we need to work on your adrenals first or whatever it might be. Blood sugar regulation. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, I don't know, to me, I feel like they're kind of like the rage right now, but not in like the, per, not the proper perspective for some people who, right. again, would not benefit from it. And yeah. the weight loss thing is huge of. So big. Yeah. It's so big. Yeah. I always say I sound when I, when I go on podcasts and when I give talks, I'm like, I don't sell hormones very well. I feel like I talk people out of it more than not, but I, I don't take that as a bad thing because we definitely don't have a patient shortage, you know? Yeah. Um, and I always remind patients to like, you know, I have an ethical duty to tell you risks and benefits and side effects you know, where hormones can play a role. Um, so like, just like we were saying for the sake of procreation, and again, it's looking at that underlying root cause and, and there is a genetic component too. And we do know that, but as you probably see, polycystic ovarian syndrome is like rampant. Mm -hmm. And someone had asked me once, they're like, do you think it's becoming more of a problem? I don't know because we don't have a lot of studies to compare in terms of the numbers of patients we're seeing, I think we're diagnosing it more. Um, And that's just because we have more advanced testing, like the Dutch tests that really can pick up on it. People are more educated on how to read blood work to diagnose PCOS along with symptoms. Um, So because, you know, it used to be that you had to look like, um, you know, the woman from The Greatest Showman, like with a full on beard. And we know that PCOS is like a spectrum, right? And there are different types. Um, so a lot of times like that conversation, and if it is, you know, for the sake of they're not ovulating and, um, and their, their goal is fertility or, or they're not menstruating, you know, like I said, sometimes I'm like, what's your blood sugar look like? Like, are we not ovulating because we're hyper insulinemic and we need to address that first? Yeah. Um, cause like you said, just slapping on some progesterone isn't going to necessarily make them ovulate or, you know produce a child. Right. So it's, um, it's all on the spectrum. And for men, you know, andropause is what we call it. It's kind of like the male menopause. It can look so different for so many patients. Um, and it's challenging because I will say I see younger and younger men with really low testosterone levels. And, you know, we have a lot of theories as to why that is. Um, but it kind of goes back to that symptom. Like, how does it present for you. And especially the younger the patient, the less likely, again, I'm inclined to start with hormones. I usually give a talk about like the seven pillars of health and say, Hey, like, I want you to do this and come back in six months. And if you're still low, you know, then we can consider HRT. Um, but it is a, you know, chronic therapy. Yeah. And with that too, I guess, a question I have, and I want to go into some of that stuff, but mm-hmm. what are the, you talked a little bit about the pros and the cons, but mm-hmm. what are some pros and cons of doing the therapy that people should consider before they really reach out to somebody? Yeah. So, um, especially for men, we're starting there when we talk about testosterone replacement therapy. So we are replacing your own production of testosterone. I know there are, um, some compounding views on this and people say, Oh, you know, you can cycle on and off. Sure. You can stop treatment anytime you want. And there are some drugs you can use to kind of support that process, but you will never 
chemically achieve levels of testosterone that you can or will through replacement therapy, no matter how hard you try. So, you know, when I counsel a patient, I I do say like, this is lifelong until I always say until it's no longer working for you or you no longer have the same goals you have now. And, and I've definitely seen it come where um, it's, it's unfortunate to be honest. I have a lot of men who 20 late twenties, early thirties. And, you know, we always ask the question, have you been on testosterone before? And it's like, well, yeah, I, you know, I was young and a friend had it at the gym and, and it was just even a few months was enough to really downregulate their own production. And, you know, they come in with levels, you know, in the hundreds and two hundreds, which is really going to present with some symptoms. Um, from the pros, you know, again, it can, hormones can help you feel really well. So, you know, supporting brain fog, energy levels, uh, sexual health, sexual function, sleep, and then the easy things are things like hot flashes and night sweats. I always tell women, you know, I can fix that in two weeks, but it's, you know, it's everything else that, that takes, you know, longer and, and more time to kind of, um, get a hold of. Yeah. And is we, you and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. privately we were met and yeah. I was like, well, you talked about men typically, if they come off of it, they're not going to, mm-hmm. you know, they have to stay on it type of thing. Yeah. Um, for women, is it the same thing? Yeah. So not as much depending on the hormone too. So if you're postmenopausal and your estrogen is zero, when you stop hormone therapy, you're going to go back to being zero. Like that's just the way that it works. But again, it's how does that zero estrogen present to you? Because there are a lot of women who don't struggle with having low estrogen. Still, could there be some protective benefits for bone and heart? Sure. But again, we can also work on resistance training, you know, as you age to stimulate bone growth you know, taking care of your lipids and omega-3 vitamins and DHA and whatnot that not everyone again needs hormone therapy. Um, and with testosterone, so females are kind of lucky in that we produce testosterone in two main places of the body. One are on what are called the fecal cells of the ovaries. And then, um, also the adrenal glands, which sometimes can be a problem because they can overproduce if you're stressed and you have adrenal dysfunction. So, you know, I do see a lot of really healthy, again, usually women, aging women who resistance train and walk and take care of themselves and eat a really great diet and do have a lot of good dietary fat and things that support hormones that make a a healthy amount of testosterone. And the dosing that we use for women is so, or that, you know, especially I prescribe super microscopic that they do have an easier time coming on and off. Um, Okay. And, you know, typically their body will go back to making, you know, one to two nanograms per deciliter, which is a really small amount for females. Okay. And we had also talked about, I'm thinking in terms of the fertility mm-hmm. that you said that men, like, let's say there's a man who has low testosterone and they're trying to conceive, like that's mm-hmm. okay for him to be on hormone replacement therapy. Sure. As long as he, yeah. So this is a big topic. Yeah. Um, so if conception is the acute goal, I would actually lean towards not being on tiered on testosterone during that time period and using, um, what's called an analog. So, um, human chorionic gonadotropin or HCG, which is an injectable hormone, um, that actually promotes what's called spermatogenesis. No HCG is kind of like a man with a microphone. So it's, um, it's a luteinizing hormone signaler. So it tells, the testes to make more testosterone. 
it's kind of like using a scalpel versus a hammer. Um, whereas giving someone testosterone is the hammer. Yeah. If you if you use testosterone in isolation in a man, it can downregulate that um, luteinizing hormone and what's called follicular stimulating hormone or FSH in men and actually decrease sperm production and render men infertile. So if a man is like, well, in the future, I might want to get pregnant, then I say, or my partner wants to get pregnant, then we do both HCG plus testosterone. Um, if again, if fertility is the only thing, I would just use HCG. And they will get, like I said, a little testosterone boost, but it's never quite as much as TRT. Okay. And then for women, we had this, we talked about this. Mm -hmm. I was telling you that I had worked with someone who her, she had gone to like some fertility clinic sure. and they had taken her off of progesterone when mm -hmm. she was trying to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't know the ins and outs, sure. but to me, I was like, wait a second, what? Yeah, but yeah, that is something, would you recommend people. someone stay on progesterone when they're trying to conceive if they know that they need that for that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, so part of my postgraduate training, I, um, I trained under the world's greatest midwife. Um, her name is Susan Kleinfeld. If anyone wants to find her at the Cleveland Clinic, she's amazing. And she, you know, their standard really is through the first trimester to keep women on progesterone to, again, prevent miscarriage. It helps, you know, with the gestational wall. So adhering the uterus to um, to prevent what's called placental abruption or, you know, breaking off of that placenta and, you know, just really supports really healthy levels. And you have to remember, too, progesterone is like the only thing women can really take during breastfeeding as well, which can also help with um, postpartum depression and psychosis because progesterone does cross um, what's called the blood brain barrier. So it helps to regulate a couple chemicals in our brain, which are responsible for reducing anxiety and promoting um, kind of a feeling of overall wellness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and that's, again, I think really important for people to understand because I've had clients who are like, well, I'm, I don't know because I'm thinking about getting pregnant and I don't know if I should start that. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I, if anything, that might actually be the time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my close friends, um, we actually had that conversation with, she was going through letrozole and a couple other things. And uh, she actually like came to my office like on a weekend. I drew her blood, and that's why I told her, "I'm like, you start some progesterone, you'll be fine." And like two months later, she was pregnant. I was like, "Yeah, it's just like uh, basic physiology." And it's the again, it's like one of two things you're allowed to take when you're pregnant, which is nice. And in that, in that, um, you know, acute phase of your time or of your life, there's really little to no downside to it. Yeah, and is that something that um, I guess? long-term, we talked about testosterone, how mm -hmm. once men are on it, it's usually going to be a long-term thing. Yeah. What about with women for who aren't uh, postmenopausal? Yeah. 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 So coming on off of progesterone is usually fine as long as you're treating the underlying disease. Um, you know, with the PCOS, they kind of usually chronically are low progesterone producers. Some of them do need to use chronic therapy throughout, you know, menstruation um just because again like i said there are there are actually two genetic snippets specifically that um you know really make pcos difficult but uh, you know especially if you if you're pcos and you're overweight or you're insulin resistant you'd be surprised at how how much improvement you can make on your hormone levels with just improving that because what happens is naturally when your progesterone is low you have a um, a state of estrogen dominance and estrogen dominance is super common in, in PCOS patients. And 
we say dominant because estrogen and progesterone are meant to be in synergy with one another. Um, again, on blood work, we can actually calculate like a perfect ratio. So whenever one is too high and too low, you have you know symptoms correlated with that. So if they can improve the estrogen dominance, which is usually, again, um, metabolically driven, their progesterone will come back into a nice balance as the estrogen comes down. Okay. Yeah. And that's, again, one thing that I like that you're bringing up is blood work. You've also mentioned the Dutch. So how do you feel about the test? Like how would someone know maybe working with a health coach who would be sent to you and or what testing do you use or would you recommend for someone? Yeah, that's always, um, it's a loaded question because I get Mm -hmm. that a lot. Like, should I do a ZRT four point cortisol? Should I do a, you know, stool test? And I'm always like, you can, like we can. Um, the question with any testing is what are, what are we looking to do with that information? And I'm sure you experience the same thing too. And this again, what makes me a terrible business person is that, you know, I can appreciate all of this comes at a financial cost, like yeah. the cost to have a health coach or the cost of, you know, concierge medicine. And so testing is no different. And, and even from like the clinic side, I mean, a, a Dutch test, like for us just to order is, is not cheap for the clinic. So there was a little bit of remuneration there. Um, so I like all kinds of, I mean, data is data. I think it's great. I love the Dutch tests, especially for someone who's not on hormone therapy. Yeah, I'm sure you see this a lot. Like one of the things that drive me crazy are like patients who take oral birth control and then they spend $400 on a Dutch test. And I'm like, all I can see is that you're on oral birth yeah, control. Like, like this is just confirming <laughs> that the hormones are there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's like, not a lot I can do with this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. we can talk about your, you know, cortisol awakening test. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I like both. It, it really just depends as a conventional clinician, you know, blood work is kind of like my safe place. I know it in and out. I am very comfortable with it. It can tell me a little bit more about ovarian health, meaning if you do a Dutch test in a postmenopausal woman who hasn't menstruated in 10 years and she's not on hormones, again, you're just going to see that she's postmenopausal. Everything is going to be zeroed. Um, whereas, you know, with blood work, it can show me what her LH and FSH levels really are, sex hormone binding globulin, which is a protein the liver makes, which helps me understand, again, metabolic health. Um, but you know, the Dutch test and looking at estrogen metabolism and probably my favorite place is to look at the, um, the five alpha activity on the androgen side of the Dutch test. When we are talking about testosterone, because I don't have a good understanding of like, okay, what's my risk of this patient developing a mustache, losing the hair on their head and all those things that when we tend to be really high five alpha can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like that perspective of being able to utilize both mm-hmm. because you're right. Like the sex hormone binding globulin, you can't really, you're not seeing that from the Dutch, yeah. but it's also important. And mm-hmm. I'm just thinking back, like I'm selfishly thinking back now to some of my results with like my naturopath. And then I do a Dutch every so often too, and being able to utilize those things together mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. a bigger picture. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, people that work with me, they know I love the Dutch. I, yeah. I run that a lot too, but I think there is such a value. And we've talked about the blood work stuff, mm-hmm. which I'm hoping to start incorporating. I have a course coming up that I'm taking for that just to have a yeah, better understanding. Because also to be fair, I think most people are going to have lab work from some practitioner, Absolutely. like yeah. their yearly checkup, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So that that's still really good information mm-hmm. that I want to be able to utilize with people. Sure. Whereas a Dutch is something a little bit more like of and, a privilege in a way. A hundred percent. Yeah. So. It's always just added information. So yeah, my answer to patients is always like, we 
can absolutely do that, especially if they are really worried about side effects. Like, I really don't want to grow facial hair. I don't want to do this. Then I would say, you know what, let's know for sure. And and if I'm worried about methylation, if I'm if I see a high homocysteine, which is a an inflammatory marker on blood work, which usually is related to like low methylated B vitamins and whatnot, a Dutch can reaffirm that. Um, you know, on blood work, you're not going to see good adrenal testing. It actually drives me a little bit crazy when people get blood cortisol levels, which I only bring this up because we actually have it on our initial panel at my practice. And I've tried so many times to get rid of it and our owners still want it. Cause I'm like, you do realize just putting the needle in the vein to draw that patient's blood spike their cortisol. Yeah. Like it is the weakest form of cortisol testing. When people ask me about it, I'm always like, I'm not even going to comment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> We're just going to act like it's not there. <laughs> no, it, it drives me insane. Um, so if you do want to know about your adrenals, you need to do saliva or dried urinary testing. Yeah. 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 That's such a good point that people don't think about. Mm-hmm. I also, again, with for someone who doesn't know what the Dutch is in terms of the cortisol, you get to look at your overall, like your mm-hmm. daily pattern, which is nice because I think if you just do blood, it's yeah. like you're walking into a movie for five minutes and walking out. 100%. You don't get to see the whole day's picture because yes. someone might feel great in the morning when they go get their blood taken. They're like, right. energy's good. But then that 2 p.m. slump comes. Yes. And if you can't catch that or if the, the Dutch might show that to you. So you mm-hmm. actually have the hard data on that versus like, well, right. I missed it because I got blood work done at 7 a.m. when I was feeling good. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think, again, the test has to match the symptoms and what we're and what we're going to do with that data. Because the other thing is, you know, with adrenals, I mean, there's not a good drug treatment out there outside of like, you know, if you have full-blown Cushing's or Addison's disease. So, you know, the question I have for those patients, I'm like, so if you even think you have adrenal dysfunction, again, you can spend the money on testing or you can just do the holistic things that are going to support your adrenals no matter what. Um, and then if you don't get somewhere, then you can look into advanced testing. Yeah. No, I think that's a good perspective. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just, I love all of this because I think it's so, as I spend a lot of my time thinking about the hormones and mm-hmm. all that anyways, but it's so good to hear it from you because you have such a... I think realistic and level-headed perspective on it, where again, you're not just trying to get people on all the hormones. It's more of like, what is the outcome that you're trying to achieve, which I think is important. And because I've, you probably have this happen, but I, again, I don't do hormone replacement therapy, but I have clients who come in Mm -hmm. and they're on it from a previous practitioner or a clinic here local. Mm -hmm. And again, for me, I'm like, this isn't adding up. Like why, you know, why mm-hmm. is this, this seems really like a fire hose to the face. Like yeah. this is really violent. Like yeah. I just, I think this is a lot. So hearing yeah. like, that's why I love your approach to it. Yeah. Cause you're not just doing it to almost appease the client or the patient. It's sure. more of like, realistically, this is not going to be your weight loss magic pill. Right. This is not going to be the, you know, we have to look at all the other things, which I think is appreciative. Yeah. I mean, I think in the end of the day, people and this really got, I think, worse during the pandemic. People really don't trust medicine. And as a well-informed customer, you should treat it like you're, I don't know, buying a refrigerator. You're going to do your research and you're going to figure out what's best for you. And, and again, that kind of customized approach and, you know, and I, not to say the way I practice it is better or or best. I, I don't think that that's at all, but I think in the end of the day, um, like I would say, if you just do the right thing, like it's kind of, if you build it, they will come, like the patients will come. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, from a, from a business side, it, it, it doesn't always add up at the, 
at the beginning, but you know, the volume just starts to add up more and more. And I mean, as you know, the vast majority of my patients are moms who are busy already. And I always think about it and you've probably seen this, like people will come to me and they're on 42 supplements. And I'm like, you are spending a salary every month on these supplements. Not that supplements are bad. I I think they're great. But I even had that conversation of like, well, why are we on, like, let's go through that list and let's focus on the big pillars like vitamin D, magnesium, and omega-3. Let's just start there. Yeah. (laughs) And we'll work through everything else, you know, and see what's supportive and not, and and periodize it too. Like you don't need to be on black cohosh for 30 years, you know, like you got to like figure a few things out there. So, and I think medicine should be treated the same in that, you know, it's, it's meant to be, um, utilized as a tool. And, um, and so I'm trying to make their lives easier. That's what I, the point I was trying to drive home there and not more difficult. If I tell them, okay, you're going to do these three hormones, two of them are injection. This is a trochee and, you know, these four peptides and yada, yada, yada. I mean, it just gets lost. And, and I've seen people have come to me actually just a few weeks ago, I actually saw a, a gentleman who um, is really, uh, really good businessman. And, you know, the question I always have is like, why are you transitioning care? And he was like, well, to be honest, I couldn't get an appointment with my last practice. And it was just a little bit of a mess. And I mean, he was just a straightforward 50 some year old man, not worried about um, fertility on testosterone. And he sent me a picture of what he had been prescribed at his last appointment. And I mean, the bill was like $5,600. Oh, wow. All like armor thyroid and all this. I'm like, why are you on thyroid medication? Like, I was yeah, just like, like did I miss something in your consultation? Your blood work looked fine. And he was like, I don't know. I'm like, did you feel any differently? And he's like, well, no. And I'm like, you don't need any of this. Stuff. You just need TRT. Like, yeah. I was like, if you get injured, we can think about these other peptides. Like, they're great. And he was like, well, thank God. Because I was poking myself four times a day. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, again, and not, and I'm not trying to speak ill of other clinics. I think everyone has their own approach, but less is definitely more. And I always think too, and you probably do the same thing. I always think about like me as the patient and like what I would want to take away and how I would want to be treated and taken care of. And it's definitely like, I am, we are way too busy in our life to, to be lugging around, you know, 3000 bottles of things. I agree. And also just even like dosing of things is mm-hmm. interesting. Cause I'll get some people where I'm like, that's like, have, did you ask your doctor if she could keep up with that dosing schedule? Yeah, exactly. That happened to me personally. I was, when I was doing compounded thyroid medication for a period mm-hmm. of time, my endocrinologist had played around with um, like one capsule at this time, then later in the day. And there's like the restrictions on, you have to have yeah, an empty eat. stomach yeah. and this and that. And I was just kind of like, have you tried this? Yeah. Like, would you be able to keep up with this? Yeah. This is nearly impossible for it's Not a full time job trying to take this medication at the right yeah. time at the right dose. So I try and think of that too, is like you walk out of my office and you've got four kids that are waiting for you when oh you get gosh, home. Yeah. Like you've got, you know, you want to go work out. You've got a business that you're running. You've got work. You've got travel coming up. Like I have to be realistic of- you Do the laundry and cook yeah, dinner. Yeah, it's like <laughs> if you had nothing else going on in your life, sure, maybe we could get this intricate. Oh, but 100%. really, it's like, let's go, let's strip it down to the real necessities. Right. And try and get you the most results in that time. What's going to actually make you feel better too. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that approach. So I want to switch gears a little bit and yeah. hear more like, what are you doing for your own health? Like you oh, mentioned gosh. you were a runner. So oh, yes. what do you do to take Not care of yourself? Not nearly as much anymore. Um, 
So I've been on, I mean, transparently I've been on hormone therapy for uh, a long time. So clinically, so I, I was diagnosed with premature ovarian failure at age 30. Um, and yeah, you've heard this before, but the, you know, the joke is that I, I never hit puberty, which is probably true because the only period I ever had in my life was through oral birth control since, since I was born um, because I was put on birth control before I actually had my first menstruation because I was a really uh, petite teenager and played competitive soccer. And so there's a lot of other dysfunction going on. Um, so from a pharmaceutical standpoint, I take, um, I use injectable testosterone and estradiol and I use a progesterone trochee. So probably of those three, and again, this kind of goes back to tailored medicine. I'm just a female who, who really does well with a lot of, not a lot of, but a pretty robust dose of testosterone higher than I would give my patients for sure. But part of that is because I do enjoy endurance sports. So my body really eats it up. And, um, and I use a small amount of estrogen, which for me, especially, I mean, when you saw me, uh, when I was running more aggressively, you know, I had so many stress fractures and, you know, knock on wood, all of that has changed. I actually haven't had one injury since starting hormone therapy. Wow. And, you know, when I was full on menopausal at the time, I had all the vasomotor. So I was, I mean, I used to soak through the sheets and, um, you know, the insomnia and just um, anxiety that came with that. So, you know, having balanced hormones is is really important. And I monitor my blood work, although uh, David, my husband always says, I don't know that you should treat yourself. It's like, I think you should like find one of your friends that you trained to treat you. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably true. Um, but I found, you know, even through my own journey, because of course the first person I saw who put me on hormones when I, we, and so for those you don't know, so David is, um, is a physician and he is really well connected. And so when I was sick at the time, we went to every endocrinologist and he, I remember at one point and he's, very conventionally trained. And even that he was like, she just needs some testosterone and no one would, would prescribe it for me. Um, this is before hormone clinics were popular. So, um, I found someone and was put on like ugh, just way too much at the time and boron and all these, th you know, all these things. And, and I did like my skin broke out and my hair was falling out and they gave me so much oral progesterone. And I like blew up, I gained oh, like 15 wow. pounds and I was just out of my mind. So, you know, I always remember that. And it was probably a good thing that it happened because I always say I will never do that to a patient. Um, you know, so I, I use 25 milligrams of a progesterone trochee, which is like a, a baby dose, but that's all, it's all my body needs. Yeah. And then, you know, I do really value the things that, you know, we talk about in terms of pillars of health. So sunlight, you know, is huge. I live and die by, um, Dr. Andrew Huberman. I do still run because it's what I enjoy, but it's way more balanced. Um, I have a coach because I believe everyone needs a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, so I follow a training plan that's balanced and, um, and then I'm a huge fan of Pilates. I always have, um, I started. So for those of you who live in Cincinnati, there's, um, a little, breakfast shop called the sleepy bee, which forever ago used to be Pilates for runners. Um, so I used to do private lessons there a long time ago. So some form of strength. And I always tell people find the strength routine that works for you, whether that is lifting weights, whether it's, you know, power yoga or Pilates or whatnot, 
Um, so for me, you know, that's, and it's also about breath work, which is part of the pillars of health. Um, so that's always huge for me. And, um, I, yeah. And I go to prison Pilates, which again, those of you in Cincinnati know they're the most sadistic form of Pilates <laughs> out there where I like sometimes sit in my car debating if I'm actually going to go inside <laughs> many times. Um, but it helps, you know, helps keep me strong and, and more mobile. And as we age, mobility is huge. Yeah. And as much as we can, you know, it's not perfect, right? I, I do try and prioritize sleep, sleep, doesn't happen a ton in our house <laughs> just because of our life. And, um, David is often operating until the middle of the night. And so there's just like realistic things that we can't always change. And, um, I think probably for me, one of the biggest things that I've focused on more as I've, as I've aged is relationships. So you probably know this, like when you're younger, you want everyone to love you. Yeah. And then you start to realize that that's just not a way to live. It's kind of like patients, like not every patient has to like you or want to, you know, use your medications. Um, and so working through toxic relationships and prioritizing the people who matter and figuring out how I want to put my energy into people has been something that's, I mean, still challenging, still something I work on every day. Um, but I think it's really important because that for me helps me put more stock into the things that I need. Yeah, I agree. I think like there's sometimes where I'm with a client and I'm like, man, if you just, if you would maybe break up with that boyfriend, uh, I feel like your yes. whole life would get better. Yes, or whatever. drop your friends. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, is that behavior really good for you? So I like that you brought that up because also we know community is really important. Mm -hmm. Like that's a big part of health. Yes. So I think it's nice that you brought that up because I don't, we haven't talked about that too much on the podcast. So yeah, relationships are huge and how we they would say, you, you know, you're the average sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And that's really true. And it, it falls into like your self-care, your self-perception. Um, and this, you know, leans, I mean, you've probably seen this too on like the nutrition side of things where, you know, for, for forever, like I've always been, I've always taken my nutrition very seriously. And that's a story for another day. But, you know, I, it doesn't bother me that like we were just talking, we were, go on many international trips and I'll bring my own food. And like, my husband hates it. He's always like, Oh my God, you and your Tupperware. But I'm like, what? <laughs> I want to eat good food. I'm like, I don't have to eat crappy airplane food. Like yeah. that doesn't have to I'm happen. With you. Oh, I can yeah. take care of myself. I have no problem. I, I am not embarrassed. Yeah. Taking my Tupperware yeah, on this flight. Yep. Um, and you know, and sometimes it means saying no to things or like I'll go and friends will be engaging in whatever kind of, meal it is. And I, I'm totally fine sitting there and just having good conversations and eating when I get home. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that people, when they get into this space and like want to start making changes, they're almost scared to do that mm -hmm. because of the perception of other people. Yeah. But the bottom line of why you're with those people is to be with those people. Right. It's, it's not about the food. Yeah. It has nothing to do with that. It doesn't matter whether you eat or I don't eat. Like, I'm here having a good time with you. Mm -hmm. I can have a good time without eating the food that you have or, Thousand you know, percent. like that's how I feel almost about alcohol too. Like yeah. I'm not a drinker. I, I can have a drink every mm -hmm. now and then, but it's not necessary for me to have a good time. Sure. So people are like, well, are you sure? And I'm like, I'm having a great time right now. Like yeah, I don't, like, need, I don't this. need it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, true story. It was funny. My father is turning 70 and actually my parents, I always say like they are, um, my mother's like the best like rule follower and 
they're so good at taking care of themselves. They live in Florida, um, no medications. They walk three to five miles every day, like take their vitamins, like just the pillars of health are my, my champion. So we're having this huge party. And so I've been ordering, because again, now with the day of the internet, like a lot of um, bakeries make healthier like desserts, right? So I've been, <laughs> this is my mom keeps saying, she's like food just keeps showing up at our house. <laughs> I've been ordering all these like, you know, pastries and cakes from these like gluten-free organic, you know, bakeries and whatnot. And she actually said to me the other day, she's like, well, do you think we should get some like regular cookies? <laughs> and I was like, no, people won't know the difference. Yeah. And I was like, to be honest, do you really think of like the people coming to the party who are in your age who don't take as good care of themselves? Like we're only continuing that behavior. Yep. If that's the only food served, they can either eat it or they cannot. Yeah. I was like, but I don't think we should go out of our way to promote diabetes. Yeah, I agree. I think that's like on the retreats that I've done, mm -hmm. I've had food that I eat like in terms of mm -hmm. quality, like right. I'm going to get the grass fed stuff. I'm going to get the organic oh, stuff. We're going to yeah. get all that. And one of the feedback, a lot of the feedback from the participants is always like, I didn't know that this could taste as good. Or right. I didn't know that this was actually, you could do this with this food or, right. oh, this actually isn't as much money as I thought it was. Right. Or this is pretty easy to put together. Yeah. So it's again, it's like, if this is what's presented, then you have this opportunity to learn right. like, oh, gluten-free and organic baked goods still taste really good. Right. Like, so if I really do want to have something like that, right. now I know there's a healthier option for it that I might not have been exposed to before. 100%. And it's supporting local small bakeries yeah. who are trying to do, you know, a good thing. And yeah, so I always say, you know, when people can make their decisions, but we shouldn't sacrifice our health to you know, throw a great party. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap it up, yeah. I would love for you to share a health challenge for listeners. Yeah. It could be something for them to focus in on for the week. It could be related to what we talked about or sure. maybe not, but what are, what's coming to mind for you? Yeah. So the first thing that like popped right in my head, which I know we've talked about before is uh, people need to stop fearing sodium. So if people yes. could, <laughs> the challenge I would give people is do, and you can even like weigh, track and measure it, six to eight grams of sodium a day, which is 6,000 to 8,000 milligrams, which seems like a lot. But everything we've talked about from hormones to even blood sugar regulation, um, it's the summer. And if you're getting out there for your walks and the sunlight and you're sweating, it, Saul got this bad reputation you know, we even had at one time, it was called the dietary approach to hypertension or the DASH diet as a way to control high blood pressure. But if you know anything about heart disease in America, it has only gotten worse. And if you're not eating the standard American diet, if you're trying at all to support your health, you, I can guarantee you're not getting enough sodium and it's not going to make you puffy. It's not going to make your rings swell. You know, we're talking about the chemical that's responsible for your brain health. Your brain is made up of three things, fat, water, and salt. Like, you know, it can really open your eyes to feeling a lot better. So I think my health challenge would be to really get salty and take your sodium intake very seriously. Yes, I love that. And I know that you're a fan of Element. Oh, I love Element. Yeah, so we'll have that linked in the show notes for you um, to get a box if you haven't already. Yes. Um, What's your favorite flavor? I know it's summertime, but grapefruit is my absolute favorite. Oh, I so love funny. their grapefruit. Oh. Yeah. Do you so, like that one? I like it. Um, I know people in the summer especially love watermelon salt, which I do too. I like that one too. But um, so I do love 
the chocolate in like a hot beverage. Mm-hmm. But if it's going to be something cold, I gravitate towards the orange, which a lot of okay. people don't like orange. But I, I like the orange. I like it, especially if you crush like ice really fine. It reminds me of like, I don't know, like a slushy or something. Yeah. Yep. It's pretty good. Yeah. So actually pro tip on the elements. So with the raspberry flavor, mm. if you squeeze lemon in it, it's got a really good flavor too. Mm. And with the watermelon, I was told to put some lime in there, like squeeze oh, half a lime. So you can do idea. a little bit different stuff. Oh, that's a good idea. I haven't tried. I'm yeah. around with that. Okay. Yeah. I like all of them on, except the like weird, like mango. Habanero. Like, I don't love those ones. Um, especially if it gets close to your nose, it yeah. like burns. Yeah. 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 I don't, not like it. We've done like a couple cocktails with it. Yeah. Um. The other one I struggle with too is I, the lime I don't love. It tends to over time like just can get like kind of sour in my mouth. Okay. Um, but I mean I do like them. I'll yeah. drink all of them. Yeah, they're good. The sample pack is a good place to That's start. True, yeah. You can figure out what you like, but mm-hmm. grapefruit is definitely top choice for me now. So mm-hmm. I tend to buy a lot during the summer because they only have it during summer yeah, months. It's a but then they're like the chocolate caramel one in the winter is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the chocolate hot. mint too. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, I love that challenge. I think that's good. Where can people find you in terms of social media, sure. the website? And I'll have all that linked in the show notes too. Yeah. Um, so I'm really bad at social media. Every time I say I'm going to try, it doesn't happen. So I should just own it. I'm too old for it, I think. Um, do you remember I was in college when Facebook even started? So I'm definitely uh, up there. So my Instagram handle is Mouse Momentum. Um, so my nickname is Mouse because I'm always scurrying around. And it just like has a name that's stuck and like everything on our house is mouse. And then um, so the clinic is Advanced Vitality. So our website is advancedvitalityhrt.com. Um, Nutrition Dynamic, you can find them um, through Instagram at Nutrition Dynamic and nutritiondynamic.com. Um, and probably the third platform as well. If you're interested in learning more about hormones and kind of uh, especially if you are a clinician and how to apply them to patients. I have a um, integrative medical course at Metabolic Mentor University or MMU. Um, and again, they're Metabolic Mentor University uh, on Instagram. And that's open to the public. Anyone can purchase that and take it. It's I break down each hormone, men and women, and um, it's a really good place to learn a little bit more. Again, it's a little bit more in-depth, a little bit more advanced, but still approachable. Um if anything, it will put you to sleep too, because it's literally just me talking. So when I recorded it, actually, I was like, this is so boring. No one's ever going <laughs> to like this, but I've gotten some good feedback on it. So yeah. Oh, I like that. Okay. I, wanna, I didn't know that was open to the public. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good. We'll have that linked in the show notes too. Well, so Megan, thank you so much oh, for your you're time. You're so welcome. Thank Seriously. you for doing this. This is so fun. We have to do it again. Yes. We can talk about like peptides next time or yes, something. Yes. I know. You mentioned peptides and I was like, oh my gosh, we need to get into that. Yeah. We'll so, do it next. Yeah. If you have questions for Megan, please reach out to her or reach out to me. I'll send them over to her. Sure. Um, but again, thank you for listening. We hope you all have a great week. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I so appreciate your interest in holistic health and hope you learned something you can apply to your own life. References from this episode are linked in the show notes, as well as links to find me, Evie, on social media platforms. If you'd like to learn more about services from Holistically Restored, click on the link in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this content, I encourage you to subscribe and also leave a review on Apple Podcast. Until next time, be well, my friends.